This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's not possible to be left alone or isolated if you're part of Matt Bateman's world. This school principal connects community to school, to culture and to each other. He makes sure teachers are connected to supportive groups with shared interests. He connects students to their culture, their people, their teachers and to learning. He connects people back in time to their ancestors and across the globe to their families. Buckle up for a master class in leadership and resilience building. Kia ora, I'm Denise Quinlan and this is Bringing Wellbeing to Life. In this season devoted to collective resilience, I'm talking to resilient people of a special kind. Not only are these people resilient themselves, but they're change makers, enabling collective resilience to grow in the world around them, to the benefit of their colleagues, their students, or their communities. With me today is Matt Bateman, Principal of Burnside. Kia ora, Matt. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. We are delighted to have you with us. It's lovely to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. And a little bit of background. I went and visited Matt's um, Kahuiako, which for those of you outside New Zealand, is a community of learning, a cluster of schools that work together. And um, I was really struck by the how people how the whole the tenor of the place everything seemed in really good heart with really good morale and i thought we need to learn more about what this these people are doing and what's working so well so we will dive into that but first what's your iwi affiliation tell us a bit about you yeah so my iwi is naitahu it's the um it's the main iwi in the south island of new zealand um it's got about 80,000 uh, tribal affiliates, uh, registered members, uh, and so, but probably it's about 20% larger than that if you um, were able to count on the many um, members that um, fuck up a back to Naito. Uh, mm-hmm. I was born in Hokitika, a little place on the west coast of the South Island, um, quite a rugged part of New Zealand and a very beautiful part, um, and quite a... a, a a place that's very close to my heart as well. So I, I tend to go back there a lot. Um, a lot of my family bones are buried there. So, and mine will eventually go back there at some stage as well. So, yeah. And tell me, what made you go into education? Because you and your, your illustrious sister are also in education. So tell us about what, what pulled you in. Well, well, Denise, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a disease in our family. Um, my dad was a school principal and, um, uh, my mum was a music high school music teacher. Um, my sister Sonia, she she married a teacher, and um, and I married one as well. So so it's uh, it's one of those things that, uh, and none of our children want to be teachers. So uh, I don't know if it's a reflection on me or uh, what's happened before, but uh, it's it's I think um, my family have got that gene of wanting to um, connect and support people um, that. I suppose that little caring side of us um, teaching allowed me to be in a, be involved in a profession where I was able to um, to help and and that's um, and and to connect children to um, the excitement of learning and and the excitement of growing up and setting goals and um, having some dreams and and keeping those dreams and modifying them as you as you go along. So yeah, it's been it's been a really mm. uh, I haven't. I didn't have a very good experience myself when I was at um, high school. Um, my father was my um, my primary school uh, teacher, for, so I had dad for for pretty much eight years, um, in a very small uh, rural school on the west coast. Um, and then I had a three quarters of an hour uh, bus trip into a high school, which was um, back in the early seventies was a, a pretty brutal place. So. Um, my high school experience wasn't that positive, um, but you always learn something from those experiences. And I, I, I probably, looking back, I learned not how, how not to be a principal because the principal at that school at that time was, um, yeah, he was very, very old school to say the least. Um, when I look back, it was um, society was very different, but he was he was at the very right hand end of um, society in those days and quite judgmental of class and um, race and 
and um, yeah, he had very strong views, and and he didn't mind sharing them with the staff. All the What's... most of the staff were scared of him, and and most of the pupils were as well. And that was a place where you sent your child, and you didn't have much to do with the school. So um, I learned some good lessons. I got asked to leave halfway through my um, what would be now year thirteen, which was um, uh, my seventh form year. Um, and uh, yes, it was. I had a not because of my behaviour, but just because of um, some of the pursuits I wanted to follow. Um, playing rugby league, for example, um, was seen by the principal as a working class game. So I played that on Sunday and played for our school first of ten on Saturday. And he didn't think that was a good mix. Um, he made me uh, sit my university entrance exam, even though I'd passed and got subject prizes for um, two of the. The areas of the curriculum he made me sit the university entrance exam which i passed went back in the seventh form year um was asked to be head boy by the staff um and he declined that um withdrew me from all the team photographs so he was a he was a bit of a bully but um and i suppose looking back at because i left in may of that year he he did win in the end but i, I took some good lessons uh, left school went and worked in a, a newspaper for a short time realized i could make some more money by working in a in a sawmill um and in the forestry so I did that for a few years and then um, my father obviously was pretty disappointed that I'd um, chosen to sort of leave any academic pursuits behind um, he wanted me to to go and train uh, so my younger sister Sonia she had already gone off to, to Christchurch to train to be a teacher uh, so I, I went over a year after her and um, started my teacher training. Isn't it isn't it fascinating you know you're describing such a difficult situation with um, racism, classism, you know, and then we know that for some students, it makes them want to walk away and never look back. And for others, um, it's that thing of, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do better and I'm going to make school a place where students and their whanau, their families feel welcome. I guess I'm really, I'm always incredibly grateful for the people who don't go under in the face of that kind of treatment, but but take it on as a challenge and come back. Um, well, one of, the, one of the things that I, um, when I tra- finished my training, I taught in Christchurch. Um, I ended up um, many years later going back to the West Coast and I had two principalships over there. And um, during that period of time, I... Um, I was able to really um, put into action some of the things that I thought should have been happening many years earlier, um, getting schools to really connect to their little communities. Um, many of the people that I, um, the parents that I was working with, I was a parent myself. I had four children at that stage. Um, many, of the, many of the parents were people that I'd been through the local high school with, um, so they knew me reasonably well. I knew how they had found their schooling experience. Yeah. Uh, and so... Um, I made a real effort. Um, I, I became president of the local association for a few years, and um, we made a real effort as a, as a community of schools, um, because I think rurally um, the collaboration and the collegiality was was always a bit further ahead in the country because you had to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so we had the opportunity uh, on the west coast to sort of do some things together and and connect back to the community. So we got things like Kavaka festivals going um, for the first time. Um, we, we got a whole lot of community events around schools going um, and we got families to sort of start to, to try to reconnect to their local school um, and develop the relationships between the staff and the community. So, um, yeah, that was a, it was a, and um, yeah, I, I really love that sort of aspect of being able to sort of go back and do that. And, it, and it, I mean, this is a theme that is going to run through what we're talking about today. You know, the whole the whole thing of of reconnecting, of connecting um, families to the school and whole and the school to the whole community, so that none of us are feeling isolated. That there is a sense of being part of something, and that there is, I guess, at the heart of it, there is a sense of. Um, a shared goal and a shared caring, which is building a better future for the young people that all of us are charged with looking after in some way or another. That's, that's right. I don't think in those days I really appreciated um, that there would be other pressures on on families and on communities um, 
things that, that I've seen since I've been in Christchurch with the with with the, the earthquakes and the mosque attack and the Port Hill fire and and now COVID, um, those things uh, and the importance of um, having those strong connections before those events um, come along. So you've got a network to support, um, to, so we will support each other. Yeah. Which brings us to the pandemic and and um, and me visiting you and saying, oh, these people are coping really well. Now, we both know that coping well and being resilient isn't rainbows and unicorns. It doesn't mean there's no problem. It doesn't mean things aren't difficult. It doesn't mean we're not unhappy at times. But um, we often say that resilience is um, resilience is something you draw on, you know, when it's flooding or when there's an earthquake or whatever, but you don't build it in that moment. You build it yeah. way before. And, and what were some of the things that you think put your school and your community of learning in a good place when the pandemic started? Because you'd obviously done a lot of a lot of good work. Well, from my own school's perspective, um, I, I've always sort of been a, of a mind that um, when I came to Christchurch, uh, one of the things I didn't like about being a principal in Christchurch was that you were anonymous. Not that I wanted to be known by people, but I wanted to know my community. Uh, and living in on the west coast and being a principal of a local school there meant that everyone in the area went to that school, so you tended to to get to know everybody. Um, Everyone had to drive past my house to get their child to school, so they they could see what I wore yesterday, <laughs> hang on the clothesline. <laughs> they they could uh, they knew they knew everything about me. Um, and uh, but when I came here, I didn't know anything about my community, and and it was so much more diverse than I'd ever had uh, an opportunity to work with before. So um, there were some really positive challenges, and I, I felt really not not inadequate, but I felt really um, enthusiastic about doing something about connecting so um it took four or five years to really start attending community events um so going outside the school going out go, attending church services going to to tangi going to um uh, festivals for different cultures um and just being seen to be present um touching base with families that i knew would be there um then you would get a re-invite to something else the next year or um you'd get an invite to a dinner that you didn't know was a part of that particular um, occasion um, so all those sorts of things and and then involving more staff in those in those interactions um, and then over a period of time uh, seeing the parents more comfortable coming into school um, uh, and meeting with me um, the school that I'm in at the moment we've got about 30 um, percent New Zealand European 20 percent Maori um, and the 50 percent um, well, there's about ten percent Pacifica, uh, and then forty percent come from about thirty-five between thirty-five and forty other countries. So it's it's very diverse and lots of different languages. And many of the cultures they they um, put schools on a bit of a pedestal and they send those children along. They want you to teach them um, to be scholars um, and not to worry about anything else too much. Uh, and they expect that you'll do that, but they also um, rely that you'll do on on them. You, they'll rely on you to do that without um, too much connection with them. They just want to report on how the child's going. Um, but um, and even even talking to parents about the importance of their first language for their child, uh, they they almost push you away for a long period of time until they can see that actually uh, you do value their culture. And you think that it's going to be really good for their child if they are able to connect to their first language and their and their culture, yes, as well as um, become very uh, adept at English and 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 um, become a Kiwi. Um, but 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 having having all those things happening as well, uh, and the and the importance of the connection with the family, uh, so the school can actually work with the family to do that for the child. So so all those things take a bit of time, and, and um, it's a bit um, like. Uh, with our kahui, just building up that trust with those community groups. Um, and I've just, I've just completed an email back to a Pacifica group. We've, I've been invited in a couple of weeks to a, a church service on a Sunday, and there's there's a careers expo for um, Pacifica children after that service. Um, and um, it's going to be one of those things where I'm going to be able to advertise it amongst our Pacifica community. So 
that we a lot of us will attend. And so they can see that I'm genuinely there for their children. Um, I'm not just trying trying to make sure that the school teaches them English. So, yeah, so it, it, all that takes time. Yeah, and what you're describing, that effectively, it's not even, community outreach doesn't begin to describe it, but that, that embracing of and supporting, willing to be known by, known to, and to get to know all of your community, um, it's a full-time job almost. <laughs> and, and, and I love what you say, you know, four or five years. This is a long game. This yeah. is not a quick fix. And so often the things that support us in our challenging moments are things that we've built over four and five years back. But to come, to come back to, um, so that was, that was kind of what you were doing with your community over, over a long time. What about the staff and the students? What were the things that you think you've been putting in place within your school or across the Kahuiako that have helped to build that kind of resilience that you've been drawing on since the pandemic started in March 2020 for us here in New Zealand? Well, if, if I look at um, our Kahuiako, our, our local community of learning, around a very big, uh, very large, successful high school, um, two and a half thousand, 2,700 students, um, two intermediates, um, significant as well um, in population, um, two uh, Catholic schools, very strong, a special school, um, which is um, one of three in Christchurch, um, and also um, half a dozen contributing primary schools, so from year one to six. And um, across all of those schools, um, if we go back 10 or 15 years, all of those schools were very competitive. They were all um, uh, very happy with how they were going uh, and quite proud of the way that they were doing probably the best job in the area um, and were self-promotional. Um, and, and that was all fine. Uh, and so we superficially used to meet as groups of principals and talk about um, things that probably affected us on a, on a professional level, but we never really talked about children. Uh, we never really talked about communities or groups of um, communities. Um, we thought we could just look after our own little patch and that would be fine. Um, but things have um, evolved now where we actually have kahuiako uh, whānau hui, where we get um, Māori families from all of those schools together in the high school. Uh, we attend the graduations of the Pacifica and Māori students at the high school. Um, and the other graduations that take place there. So we're celebrating the end result of all of our collective work um, and the pathways through to the high school. That's right. The, so the primary school goes to the high school graduation. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's and a lot of the same families. It's actually lovely to get, to attend. Um, there's a tikanga around all of those events. There's there's a there's a there's an opening. Um, there's food. And then there's the the um, and so during that period of time, you've got a chance to reconnect with all of those families that once upon a time had a child at Burnside Primary or at some of the other schools, uh, and then pat the child on the back uh, because they're going to be receiving a, an award or something or some. Uh, so all those things just really help, um, but also for the children as as they move through the primary school intermediate uh, system into the high school, they've got a wider network of connections as well. Um, and we also have helped many of those children connect back to their iwi or the, to their, um, generally the Pacifica children are, are much more strong in their connections, um, generally through ch a church, but um, for most, a lot of our Māori students and a lot of our Māori whānau that live in Christchurch, live in a city, they've been a bit disenfranchised from their, from their roots. And um, yeah. Now, Matt, can we talk about this? Because this to me is, such a great example of work that you did in the Kahuiako for um, in your community of learning for Maori students, but then uh, you know about five or six years ago. But then fast forward, how that played out again, and was a model that you were able to draw on for your Chinese and Japanese and Korean students. So tell us a little bit about the um, the hui that you had, where Maori students were connected back to their their marae and their iwi. Yes, we had, we had a um, our school is is uh, one of the low, well, it's the lowest decile school in, in our Kahuiaka. We're a decile four, um, 
And so, so it, for anyone outside New Zealand, that's low socioeconomic status, yeah. low SES, yeah. yeah. And so not that we had been, but we probably felt that we were the poor cousins. And 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 some I, I assume that some of the communities, the other school communities may have looked on us as such, but they, they were obviously pleased with who they were and that they probably probably pleased that they weren't us as well. But um, but basically, uh, but there was, so when we, when I um, started to trial some ideas of um, connecting some of our students to the school and to who they were, um, I had a, a large, arranged a large whānau hui here at Burnside Primary, invited a couple of other schools who had a very small number of Māori students, um, high decile school, um, high decile schools, decile 10, so you, you don't get, that's, that's the highest decile, the most wealthy families. Um, and so one of the schools was twice as big as Burnside Primary. Um, we had 63 students, they had they had five or six. So, um, um, and so, um, that, but I, I, I knew that those few children there probably weren't in a situation in their school to be able to celebrate being Māori so uh, because they were really in the minority and it probably wasn't seen as a need in their school because they were so small in number so anyway I, I set up this um, this Mihi Whakatau which was a big um, a welcome to all of the different groups that were there uh, I invited we had 18 different iwi represented so Māori from 18 different um, wow. tribe groups um, on, on at our school um, and so I invited one leader from each of those tribal groups to come along um, for that day. And then we also had um, five Pacific Islands uh, groups in our school. So I invited leaders from each of those groups to come along uh, and, and um, welcomed everybody there. And then we separated into our um, Pacifica Island groups with their particular leader or two uh, and and into our 18 different iwi groups with a leader or two for, for each one. Um, and that um, leader talked to that particular group um, and was able to online take that group back to their rohi, their area, where they come from in Aotearoa, um, and then from there get a bit more specific and take them back to their little papakainga, their village, that their um, that that child came from and we'd invited the, the wider family to come along as well so there were quite a few mums and dads um, a few grandparents that were there as well um, and many of the children had never been back to, to home for them um, and sometimes the parents hadn't been back but the grandparents had been uh, the parents might have been back once or twice but they hadn't really connected um, so we um, were able to take um in a very powerful way, the children back and show them what their whare looked like, why it was called um, Tamatea, oh, that's this, your second name, um, so this is why you were given that name. Um, and we we went a, a further step as well, uh, because many of the iwi, many of the tribal groups now have a registration opportunity for families that have been dislocated to reconnect and re-register. So our Naitahu whānau, for example, um, we had two representatives from Naitahu there, and as part of that, recorded all that the, the talk that they had with the group of children, they were able to find out which of the children were not registered or registered with Naitahu, and then they started the registration process. Um, and that little thing uh, had, had a really powerful application oh. for those families. Uh, uh, so, and and um, not just financially, but um, giving them an identity that they didn't really know that they had or they didn't really know that was there. So that that really powerful support network um, was able to kick in um, yeah. many, many times over later, um, not just during COVID, but um, around, around a whole lot of other situations. Um, so they're, they're on a database now and they've got a, a wider family that they're aware of, which is great. And what was the feeling like in the room when I'm imagining grandparents excited to see their papakainga on the screen to be able yeah. to telling their grandchildren about it? What was that like? Well, it was it was um, terribly emotional for me, uh, terribly emotional for those families. Um, many of the um, there are some fantastic websites, and, and most iwi, most tribe tribal groups have got 
really good um, websites and information about Marae and um, Papakainga. Um, but they've also got um, some footage of their um, urupa, their cemeteries, um, and and that really triggered a whole lot of things for families to talk about. Um, that's where your ancestors are. That's you know, and to to, to understand the the life cycle of of an iwi and even even the inception of an iwi. Um, like Nai Tahu is the tribe of Tahu. Um, um, Nati Paro is the is the tribe of Paro or Paro Rangi. Um, so. For the children to understand that the name of the tribe is an, actually an is an ancestor, um, and that all of these children sitting in the room with them, and all of the people sitting in the room with them, are actually related by blood to them, so that gave them a, a real strengthening of who they were, and who their who their brothers and sisters were, um, and and also to the families because most of the families, um, especially in our Maori communities, were living in Christchurch, in in a, in a, a, a to, in a, to a large extent, in isolation from, uh, from each other. So, um, and it gave them a whole sort of social network outside that meeting to 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 activate later on, which was um, really powerful. It was a, a very emotional day, actually. Yeah. But it, and such a um, a powerful and generative day that has enabled so many threads to come together. It's raranga. It's the work of leadership of weaving people together, isn't it? That's what you were doing. Yes, it, it is actually, and, and um, funny you mentioned that, Denise. One of the one of the um, processes we all schools have been going through has been um, working with um, mana whenua, the, the the tribal group or the the, the sub tribal group that's got um, authority to speak over this part, part of Christchurch, Nai Tuahuriri, which is the um, a, a sub group of Nai Tahu, a sub tribe, and. Um, each school has been working with representatives from um, Mana Whenua to develop a, a name uh, for their school. Um, so we've all got a, a European name. Uh, and the name that was gifted to our school was Tuia, which means to weave together, which was a, re- a result of that um, that's, that meeting, which is... Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. So Tuia actually recognises the work that your school has done. Mm. And actually... To see to see that in writing in the um, naming document that we were presented with as as a board a couple of years ago was it was pretty emotional for me, but it was mm-hmm. it was lovely for our community to see that we were um, seen in that light, you know. So it was, uh, and it was also good for our Kahuiako schools to see that that was um, that was um, a thing that was regarded well by um, the Manafina that they were working with as well. So um, and that sort of I suppose in a way helped my work with those schools. Um, and I'm not skiting, but in the last couple of weeks, um, I've, I've um, had the fortunate um, opportunity to work up at Burnside High School with, um, on two occasions now, um, from eight in the morning till nine, um, with up to 50 staff, um, just on our local cultural narrative and some of our local stories, just leading them into the New Zealand histories um, curriculum stuff that they'll be writing. So um, there's there's some of those things that we've done here have really helped our kahui to sort of move forward together. Um, I love it. So, so there's the work that it's it's kind of that bigger picture of when you're in a community of learning, everyone's got something to contribute, and this was yeah. the thing that your school was really able to to contribute yeah. and help them move ahead. Yes. And then the other piece, fast forward to um, to the pandemic, and the same approach that you had brought to supporting. Um, your students and, your, and their families from different iwi, you were able to apply that to um, students from who are living in New Zealand, but from China, Japan, Korea, and presumably really worried and anxious about what was happening to their families back home. Tell yes, us we, about that. Yeah. Well, we we had um, we've got we've got some quite significant group sizes for some of those uh, nationalities and and for and cultures. So we. Um, we decided we'd look uh, a bit more seriously at, at language opportunities, at school-first language opportunities. So we invited those communities to to find someone um, with um, with great English, but um, also obviously a native speaker in Korean, for example. And so we, we managed to secure the head of the language school for um, the Korean language, um, Japanese and Chinese. Um, we got a Farsi speaker. Um, so we, on Wednesday afternoons, we got all of those, all of the Chinese children together with that tutor, um, 
and it had to be two three quarters an hour sessions after after a while because there were there were 19 i think um from year one to six 19 children um and um they had a a language lesson but it was more of a cultural experience and so and then that tutor also did the translation of our newsletter home to the family so they were able to um and we set up a sort of a an ethnic phone tree as well so they could all connect with each other so if they had a question they knew who to to call and ask uh, if there was something in our newsletter that didn't, wasn't quite clear even if it was in their first language um and they had a question they didn't have to ring the school or ask me or feel embarrassed about not knowing um so we uh, but then going into the pandemic, it was so helpful having that um, opportunity to support the children here at school and sort of assuage their fears of what was happening back in China and with all these thousands of deaths or in, in, in Japan and, and this, the circumstances back there, they could actually visit online. Um, they could go more specifically back to their place because they don't all come from um, one city called China. They come from all over China. So... Um, being able to take them back to their regional capital or um, their little country uh, town that they live, they came, their family came from, uh, um, and and sort of dampened down their fears to to say that things were, you know, pretty good, and what we were seeing in the media here was was not the, the same. So, Absolutely. so that so that you had tutors <laughs> from from all the different language groups, tutors who were native speakers who would be able to go online with the students, show them local news from their area, what yeah. was actually happening, real and, local news. Yeah. Yes, and, and celebrate the um, festivals that were happening back in in uh, Korea or wherever. Um, and, and, and so they could sort of, and then they could also see the importance of, for them of learning their first language. So when they went back, they could still talk to their grandma, their cousins, um their 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 culture uh the the connections with their culture were only being enhanced and the the the, the big shift really came from within the, the parent groups for those communities because they all of a sudden could see that what we were doing at school was really helping them uh, talk to their children at home um and it sort of became a two-dimensional conversation at home then because they could actually talk about uh, how they were doing at school, but how they were planning to do when they went back home with the family after the pandemic, and you know that they could actually email in, in their first language and all that sort of thing. So it was it had some really positive spin-offs. And how often? So those sessions when the the students were in their their own culture group, how often were they were they taking place? Uh, it was every Wednesday afternoon from one thirty till three. So. Wow. Um, so, so it, it was yeah financially as well as everything else but the other thing was that um it, it actually vertically across the school it, it 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 pulled all of the korean children together all of a sudden they knew um they started to to, to be on a, a more familiar terms with other children across the school they might have been the only child in year one and all of a sudden they knew all of the other children across the school after a short period of time so um and we're just we're planning at the moment for our our cultural festival for our um, Kahuiako, which is coming up at the end of this coming term, so about ten weeks away, eight nine weeks away. Um, and so our item is going to have um, nine different cultures celebrated within the the fifteen minutes that we've got to perform, um, which is which is a challenge in itself. So what I'm hearing here is a really strong theme of connecting people to each other and connecting people to their identities mm. that it isn't something you have to bury or hide away when you go to school but that it's something to be brought with you and celebrated and mm. and and that work it's it's very deep connection within within the school and across the community mm. um, as interesting denise we we actually uh, as a kahui we we um We've we've surveyed our our students and our school communities a few times now. Uh, we used a me and my school uh, survey tool, uh, NCER tool, and um, one of the one of the um, interesting points that came out of the high school part of that survey was that the one of the most disenfranchised groups, and no one was really expecting this to be the case, uh, sat within our Asian students at year nine and ten. Mm -hmm. um and um 
we couldn't understand, no one could understand why that was the case. They were successful students. They were um, performing well above the average generally, um, but they all were saying that they felt really isolated and really um, um, disconnected from, from friends, from activities, from for the school. Um, so, um, and, and this, this, this action was sort of part, a part of trying to address that yeah. that uh, that need at that stage so um as a consequence of some of those early interventions around um some of our asian languages for example um we've got an after school um support program tutoring program at burnside high school now for our korean students um so they've got a uh, the tutor that that i've i've used here she's actually um working with uh, they've got 135 Korean students up at Burnside High School, so it's a significant number. Um, they they don't offer Korean as a as a language option, uh, unfortunately, but um, that's the end goal for um, obviously for that community. They would like to see the school offer that as a language option, but um, in the meantime, there's an option for the for the Korean students to come together and be supported outside school um, in that context, and and also um, support their their schoolwork, but also support them as individuals. So, um, so that's that's been a really healthy, just one little healthy outcome as well. And so, you, I mean, I know we've talked previously about um, a number of different activities that have gone on in in your community of learning in your Kahuiaku. But to just kind of go over that again, what do you think? What is it that you've done that's allowed you or supported you to build? trust, respect, and commitment at the community of learning level? We're, we're, um, we're really blessed as, 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 a, as a group um, that we are very honest with each other um, and that we, um, we could see that post-earthquake Christchurch had a lot of challenges that we individually couldn't address alone um, and that they weren't just challenges for us, they were magnified for our families and for our children in our school. So we decided to, um, I think, without uh, any speed bumps at all, really just um, put aside our egos and work together, um, picking the best people in the room to to um, to work together to to support everybody. And so we looked across the schools. Can I give you a weird counterfactual question? Um, prior to the earthquakes, Christchurch would have been known as a place where there was a bit of reserve a bit of putting your best face forward. Um, the earthquake kind of shattered all of that and honesty and dropping the facade became the order of the day. Yeah. Do you think that allowed the, the, the building of trust and the honesty and the communication to accelerate? Yeah, I, I, definitely, think it, I definitely think it did. And one of the things that really helped um, pull all this together was the fact that we had a, an opportunity as a city um, and certainly as an education network across the city uh, to look to Mana Whenua to get our bicultural um, settings right. Mm-hmm. So um, if you look at our inner city now, it's, it's, it's tattooed with examples of biculturalism. Uh, the you know where you are. I, I go through Christchurch now and I go, I know I'm in Aotearoa in New Zealand and I know I'm on Naitahu land when I go through the city, yeah. And, and the same for schools. All of a sudden, we had an opportunity to engage with mana whenua and to move on, however that might have looked from from that point. Um, so, as a group, we all went out to um, to Ahiwi um, as a group of principals and board members and senior staff for a start. Uh, sent out groups of staff out to Tuahiwi to connect, um, hear some of the stories, how they could help, how we could help them what information they would like from us, what information, what support they would like from us. So um, that relationship um, built up pretty quickly and just keeping that momentum going and and keeping it fresh. But then across all the schools as well, um, connecting up the the isolated leaders, um, having an APDP network, for example, um, a network of um, special education coordinators, um, a network of um, people working in the area of Māori um, languages network, um, beginning teachers network. So all of those, so that, that group that you um, addressed so beautifully a, w- a few weeks ago now, um, that in the in the room there, there were lots of different networks for many, many reasons. And so across the schools, you've got um, 
people able to be quite open and, and share and converse and um, share best practice, um, share problems and, and come up with solutions. Um, and it's it's it sort of starts to feed off itself if you get things going. And um, so it's, um, but you can, you're not going to put the genie back in the bottle now because it's actually all rolling along nicely. So um, no one's left alone. What I'm hearing from you is it is not possible to be left alone and isolated. Whatever it is you care about, whether it's being a beginning teacher or a Senko or what, we're going to put you with other people who know and care about the same thing. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's to, to the extent that when, um, when the mosque attacks happened up here, um, we had schools voluntarily send around some relieving staff to other schools that had been badly affected. Um, so there's that outgoing concern and awareness of each school situation. Um, if there's a, a staff death in a school, um, God forbid, but there has been, um, um, all of a sudden there's internally we're sort of looking after each other a little bit. And um, it's like previously the circle of concern was the school and now that has expanded out to be your whole kahuiako community of learning yes that's that's right and we, we um we did have an instance at the uh, instance at the end of um towards the end of last term everyone was pretty burnt out and um raywin saunders who's uh, the principal at fenelton um she does a fantastic job she's one of the co-leads of our kahui and eddie norgate uh, principal at cobham intermediate um he's the other one with along with me and um the three of us decided that there was everyone was under so much pressure to attend um one of one of the leaders meetings that we were having so we told everyone to stay in their schools and we went to them so we we just took them a a coffee voucher and a, and a bit of a, a hug and a, a, a chat um and without exception they all felt that was way more beneficial than getting together for a for an agenda meeting so um so those those sorts of things so if it, if just being on the pulse of what's how everyone's feeling and and taking the pressure off by being supportive. So um, I think it's um, it's it's. You know, I wish this was happening ten years ago, when, when, or forty years ago. But uh, yes, no, but it's it's actually. I'm really, I'm really interested, um, Matt, because I think sometimes there's a view in education that we've got to keep going, we've got to do the next piece of work, and and that it's not okay to step back and look after ourselves. And what you just described is a beautiful action where you went, let's take the pressure off them and let's go to them and support them. Um, well, on that, the, the, the Kahuiako day uh, that you attended, um, we, we gave um, teachers the opportunity to come up with things that they would like uh, for their well-being. Um, and that's just, that well-being is one of our three Kahuiako goals. Um, when when our Kahuiako started, it was reading, writing, and maths, um, and they were the only important things. Um, but now we've got um, quality teaching and learning, cultural sustainability, um, and and well-being as our three goals. Um, so much more holistic approach to um, to the the greater good, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, some of the options that teachers came up with: so pottery. Um, swimming, um, surfing, cycling, uh, painting, um, board games, all those sorts of things that um, ask, ask principals to come up with some lists for a, a teacher-only day, and none of those would have been on the list. Um, but, but now they are, and they're all well attended because people, the staff had suggested them, principals led some of them, um, and everyone had a great time. And it was just um, so the well-being of everybody was being looked after. You, you were meeting with like-minded others, um, that you didn't know were keen on painting or whatever, and it was just great. And I want to pause here and go, you know, we're in an environment where there's pressure on everybody. There's pressure because of the pandemic and absences and illness. There's pressure from the Ministry of Education for a curriculum refresh and a whatever else is happening. And this community of learning, this Kahuiako said, we are going to have one session from a speaker on well-being and resilience and the rest of the day is to do the things you say you want to do and that's the best use we can make of the day i mean mm. to me that that's that's really walking your talk around supporting your staff 
Mm. And and I like that they had they had agency and control. You didn't have to guess what people wanted to do. Um, yeah. You went and asked them, what would you like? And they created the agenda. Yeah. Um, and then presumably you had a really good take up for the day. Yeah. We did. I, I went. I went to yoga. So, and, I, and I've I've been to yoga a few times. My 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 daughter was actually the yoga instructor on the day, um, but there were about thirty six there. Um, I had way down the back, but um, but the the positive outcomes for the curriculum refresh from days like that are that um, you, you've got key people now that are going to be able to be um, working as small groups to support all schools at the same time. Um, so we've asked schools for their priorities for um, the New Zealand Histories curriculum, for example. And there's a, there's, a, there's a team of us now that are working with every school um, to support every school. So you, every, every school doesn't have to look inward, inward to uh, who have we got that can lead this and put someone else under pressure. We've got um, some willing people in each of those curriculum areas to help schools lead the refresh. So our seven um, across Kahui leads, um, our, our expert teachers that are working across the Kahui, um, we, we've, um, we've grouped them accordingly to, to need and also to their individual strengths. Um, and so we're trying to make the job um, easier for, for, for each school and as a consequence for each, for each teacher to not dump more on them, but to give them a supportive way forward. So um, that's that's been a really positive outcome. And that's lovely because that's what you really hope, isn't it? Through that is the power of the collective that you don't have to to reinvent the wheel every single time, okay. and that another school can come along and lift and, and help you up. Yeah, we're really lucky having a um, a special school in our Kahui. They've they've um, there are many areas that they uh, and one of one of the one of the things that's been a fantastic outcome for all of us has been that we're now going into each of those other schools and seeing uh, the types of pressure that those those teachers are under, those support staff are under, the principals under. Um, yes, they've got a rebuild going on as well, and they've got all this other stuff that's happening and the pandemic and how it's looking. Uh, so we've got a real understanding of where everyone's sitting. Uh, so we're not just seeing a face turn up at a meeting, wondering why they're a little bit stressed and they go away again back to their own patch. Um, so you can genuinely be connected to those conversations about what they need and how you can help because you've been into their school you've you've walked with them so and so in it has been for all of us in so many different ways it's been a really challenging period over the last two and a half years um and what would you and and your your group has coped really well what what would be the main the main reasons that you attribute that to? I just think it's the the um, the genuineness and the willingness of the the the, the school leaders and and also the ECE um, group with this eighteen or twenty ECEs that are attached uh, to our to our Kahui as well. Early childhood, yeah, yeah. So, so we work with them a lot. Um, so I think it's the, the fact that everyone can see that um, there's something in it for them. Um, personally, but also for their school, um, that everyone brings value to the table in some area. Um, uh, so we don't make it a compulsory menu for everybody. It's there's there's still a smorgasbord there, but it's um it's there is something for everybody, and we and we do um, show that respect to everybody, um, and what what they bring to the table can help us as well. So I think that that's that's been a really key thing, and and it's been the um, the willingness of us to develop a, a a leadership model that's that we're happy with. So originally there was one leader for the Kahuiako. So you had one principal and probably eleven or twelve principals sitting on the fence waiting for that person to make a mistake. Yeah. Um, and but now you've got we've got a succession plan where we've got um, everyone's going to roll through over the period of about four or five years and have a chance at co-leadership. Um, so working alongside someone that um, you can learn a lot of. I'm working alongside two people that I've learned so much of, um, and I'm going to step down in October from, and someone that's going to step in. So uh, we've got that every year. There's going to be a, a succession plan. So shared leadership, continuity, 
succession planning. Everybody gets a go. Everybody, and, and because one person steps down at a time, you get to come in and learn from two others who've yep. been in the job a while. It's a really lovely model. It is a really, really sense. We we had to apply again to uh, to get approval from the Secretary for Education for that model. Though it was very difficult, I think we were the first Kahui to get a shared leadership model approved. Um, I don't know why it was so difficult, but it, um, one person getting the twenty five thousand or whatever it was um, when there's money involved, it's always awkward. Um, and but we but it's it's such an inconsequential amount now, really. Um, Eight thousand three hundred and thirty-three dollars, to be exact, um, and 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 but it, but it means that if if the lead principal's unwell, or if one of the one of the three of us is unwell, it doesn't really matter. At the start, there's a lot of conversation about well, why should we be in this community of learning, and what's in it for us? And when you get over the hill, over the hump of well, I don't know, what will I get back? And when people are start to talk about what they can contribute. Then, then I'm like, right now we're really now we're really going somewhere, and um, and what your community has been able to do is from the start to be respectful of everybody's contribution, and maybe that makes it easier for people to have a mentality of contributing when they know that whatever it is they have to offer is going to be respected and valued. Mm. I definitely agree, Denise. We, when we have. Um new principals uh, start in a school in our, our Kahui. We've got a, a, a we've got three lead principals, two support leads, and and genuine, genuinely, so generally one of those people steps into the role of um, when a leader steps down. So we've always sort of got five. And, and when you take the five out of the 12, this you, you're pretty, you're always going to be involved at some stage. Um, but when a new principal arrives, um, there's a little bit of time put around them to to sort of share what we're about and how we work and why collaboration is important and the support that comes with that. Um, and I think we've we've already had some feedback from some of the new principals that they had heard about how things were working before they applied for the job at a certain school, um, and that they really appreciate that that's what they're getting into. So it's actually made it's probably made. Our leadership role in our car are we more attractive because that the, the people know that they're going to be coming in and and, and be supported um, by a wider group. I like the way you say put a little bit of time around them. That's also known as a very deliberate induction into the culture, not leaving culture to chance and making sure the important values of sharing and community are understood. It's also made um, problem solving for um, some of the leaders a lot easier as well because you don't have to just look in house and um, maybe share your mistakes with people you're working with all the time. You can actually talk to, to a colleague confidentially within the kahui and and be supported. So, and that's massive. That is massive because so often in education leaders are isolated mm. and and they're trying to wear the leader's hat, not collapse. But yeah. uh, and the people who get it are are their partners at home. Um, yeah. So to have trusted colleagues who know and understand what's going on to be able to share stuff with is huge. Yeah, it's it's it is it's made a massive difference. Um, speaking personally to me, to be able to you know share some of the challenges with uh, some of my colleagues. Yes, and that's 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 been a that's been a really positive outcome. There's always there's always things that we we're looking to improve on, and um, you know there's there's a big list, but but definitely I think we're 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 on the right track as far as many of the things that we're trying to do. After we stopped recording, Matt shared a wonderful story that I want to include here. In his cluster of schools, they deliberately choose what to celebrate and where to shine the light. And recently, they celebrated a very diverse leadership team made up of people who might not hang out together, but who work extremely well together to lead a school. And he said... By celebrating them, we remind other schools that leadership teams can include diversity. If, if I was to ask you, what are you most proud of that your school or your Kahuyako has achieved in the last two and a half years? What would you say? Uh, I think for a start, we, we were focusing on culturally responsive practice. That was one of our first, but that's been changed to cultural sustainability. Um, and um, the, 
the separation of um, te ao Māori, anything to do with Māori uh, from a teacher's core role, from a leader's core role has gone. It's just become a part of quality teaching and learning, um, being a quality professional. So um, the bicultural component um, of our job, um, I think that's the most important, um, the, the, my proudest, um, the thing I've seen um, and I'm most proud of um, the shift in, in our kahui across the staff and also the, the leaders, just a respect for um, um, both sides of the, you know, Māori and Pākehā. I think um, that's been the biggest shift for me. And for that to be embedded at all levels. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about sustainability now rather than uh, being responsive. Um, so everyone's taking responsibility for that as aspect of who they are and um, how they lead and who they connect with and how they connect um, and how we interact. So our, so our systems and processes at meetings, um, yeah, we've, we've inculcated all of those things into, into who we are and how we are now. So that's great. Things have come full circle here for you, Matt. You've been able to ensure that your school and cluster of schools take seriously the need to ensure that the cultural identity of young people is respected and valued. And it's embedded in the way you approach all the work you do now. I'm just, wow, that's, that's a powerful change across the arc of one life. You know, from you leaving school on the West Coast because of racism and classism to making all of this change possible for your students, staff and their families. The words ringing in my, in my head are collaboration and connection. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm just, I'm just struck by all the different levels at which you have connected and collaborated with community within school, across school. And um, um, Matt, what advice would you give to other schools who might be struggling currently um, with absences, you know, low morale, not getting through the curriculum? There's a lot of teachers, if not burnt out, definitely crispy around the edges. What advice would you give to those schools who are struggling? Um, just don't be afraid to to um, connect with the school down the road, the school up the road, um, the school across the city, but make an effort to connect with other schools. Just be open and honest, um, have some conversations, develop some trust. Um, the, the positive outcomes of having those networks there when you need to fall somewhere, having, a, having that net, um, or, or if you are part of a net, um, Get, use it for the for the right reasons and 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 be supportive of someone else that you can see. Um, so don't don't let people fall over when you can see that they need some help. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's always I think we all joined the profession to try and make things better for kids and make things better for those that we work with. And and this is a really genuine way of being able to do it. Tell me now to close. What is it that you do? What keeps you going when you when you find your your batteries a bit flat and you need some recharging? What works for you for your own well being and resilience? Well, I've got um, I've got I've had a, I've had an easy hour and a quarter here with you, Denise, because uh, I've got I've got seven grandchildren, and uh, so I've got I've got, I've got two fifteen year old granddaughters, and uh, so it's much easier being here talking to you than than mine. It's the school holidays at the moment, so so we've uh, we've had my wife and I have had. Um, two or three of those children. So for me, family is the most important thing. Um, you know, I, I, that's everything for me. So, and I think um, a family can be your, your professional family. It can, be, but for me, it's, it's obviously my professional family, but also it's my, my whakapapa, my, my, my blood family, uh, my extended family, my wife's family. So having those networks, um, it's just another example of having a, another family uh, or another series of families wrapped around you. If you've got a, um, a good network but for me it's my go-to is family all the time so it's been an absolute delight to talk to you and i think it will be a shot on the arm some help and some inspiration for other schools who are listening so thank you very much for sharing that with us that's been a pleasure denise it's always lovely to talk to you thanks to matt for being with us today and thanks to you for listening you've been listening to bringing well-being to life on orfm dunedin to learn more about how you can build well-being and resilience for your team, 
go to nziwr.co.nz. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate the podcast to help others who might enjoy it find it more easily. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.